Thanks for listening to the Swearing In Podcast, where you'll hear the origin stories of those who chose to serve. So ground your gear, take a seat, and listen up. The Swearing In Podcast starts right now. Welcome to the Swearing In Podcast. I am your host, Marty Smith. Today, my guest is Air Force Master Sergeant Retired John Mathis. John grew up in Nebraska and graduated from high school in Millard, Nebraska. He enlisted in the Air Force at 17 and went off to basic training in 1977 with a guaranteed job in the security police. His technical school was at Lackland Air Force Base and Camp Bullis, Texas. His first assignment was to Ellsworth Air Force Base, South Dakota in 1978. He was subsequently assigned to Gadena Air Force Base, Okinawa in 1979, Offutt Air Force Base, Nebraska in 1980, RAF Greenham Common, England in 1982, Lowry Air Force Base, Colorado in 1985, and Clark Air Force Base, Philippines, in 1989. It was a Clark that John experienced a coup attempt, earthquake, and the Mount Pinatubo eruption. He returned to Offutt Air Force Base in 1992, where he later retired as a Master Sergeant in 1998. Now this concludes your pre-brief, so let's get on with the interview. Today, my guest is retired Air Force Master Sergeant John Mathis. John, thanks for joining the program, and I'm looking forward to getting your story today. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Now, John, you grew up in Nebraska, right? That's correct. I'm just cutting to the chase. (laughs) Nah, no problem. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Uh, What city in in Nebraska did you grow up in? Uh, Mostly in Omaha. I was out. I graduated high school outside of Omaha in a little little area called Millard, and 77 and then went into the air force three months later after high school now your dad retired there or moved there after he retired in 75 right that's correct we were uh lived in duluth minnesota up till 75 my dad retired and we moved to omaha because that's where he had met my mom when he was stationed there once before and uh, my mom was from omaha so we ended up back there that's always a good enough reason when you don't have a reason right exactly yep what did your dad do in the uh, air force uh, he was a radar operator. He flew on uh, EC-121s during Vietnam, and oh, wow. and then he uh, he was in NORAD in Duluth. He was in the big cement building with no windows oh, where yeah. all the radar was and all that for NORAD. Oh, man, that's awesome. So, yeah, so he did all, all that kind of stuff. Did he go career? Did he retire as well? He was 20 what years, he, yeah. He was, yeah. He was 54 to 75. Jeez, what a time yeah. to be in the military, huh? Yep. Yep. He, he enjoyed it too. And that's how I discovered, you know, I enjoyed living that life too, because we traveled around and I want to do that and want to get a, some experience and I want to be a cop. So I wanted to be a police officer. And so I went into law enforcement in the air force guaranteed. And that's what I did. So you actually went to the recruiter December of your senior year when that's you were correct. seven, when you were 17, you had to get signed for to join up. Right. Right. So you, you sealed your fate on that delayed enlistment, but because yep. of that delayed enlistment, is that why you got the job that you wanted? Uh, I think so, because usually there is waiting lists, Yeah, you know, and I was able to get guaranteed to go into that law enforcement career field by doing it that way, instead of going in, you know, a week before leaving and signing right. up and going. Right. So, yeah. Well, that kind of makes yep. that uh, whole second half of your senior year kind of easy because you're like, I, I know what I'm going to do. You know, had exactly. to scramble around, right? Yep. I knew I knew where I was going in September of 77. So <laughs> that's for sure. Where did, uh, did you swear in when you signed that contract or did you wait uh, until you got down to basic? No, we swore in when we did the delayed enlistment. Where was your MEPS so, at? It was in Omaha. Oh, okay. All right. Left right out of Omaha. Yeah. 
did you have some athletic background? Were you not worried about the? Uh, yeah, I wasn't real. I mean, I was 17 years old and played a lot of played baseball <laughs> and, you know, okay. was a tennis player and oh, stuff yeah. like that. So I, I wasn't real worried about basic training. No. Tell me about, tell me about, cause we lose that, that little period of time there in the late seventies, especially mm-hmm. with the military. God, it was so, it was so weird. And now I know you don't, you, you don't really have any experience with the military yet, but what was the what was the feeling around the military? Was it kind of anti-military at that time? Um, I'd say a little of both. I mean, there was, you know, some of my friends were like, oh, why do you want to do that? You know, and yeah, yeah. go in there and all that. But others were like, oh, well, that's that's pretty cool that you want to serve the country and, you know, get an education possibly while you're in and go that route instead of college route right away and all yeah. that. So they just thought it was. So I had a 50-50 split on it, I'd say. Uh, were you watching coverage of the war? I mean, were you were you keeping Oh, yeah. Up? When I grew up, I mean, growing up, my dad, like I said, my dad flew in Vietnam. And yeah. actually, when the POWs were released, he was home then, of course. But we were watching it on TV, and he knew a couple of guys oh, that had been God. shot down and were held and, and got released and all that. And so, yeah, it was pretty emotional. You know, I, I, watched, I could see the emotion in him come yeah. up. Yeah. Which just showed to me, you know, the the honor he had for doing what he did, right. you know, and yeah. So I was just something that it was instilled in me, you know, about you know country and service, basically. Almost kind of motivated you towards it. Yes, uh, it did. It did. Whereas I, I would imagine there are some, maybe maybe friends, but some other youth out there with not the same home experience that might be repelled by it. Right. Yeah. And and you know, like I said, I grew up mostly in the air force. So through my sophomore year, I was going to school with a lot of military kids. Oh, okay. And then my yeah. junior senior year was there in Omaha and no military kids oh. in my high school. So huh. yeah. Quite yeah. a difference. Yes, it was. It was a little different. So uh did your dad prep you to go down to basic? Uh yeah, a little bit, you know, as far as just you know, just hey, it's a big it's a big game basically. They're gonna okay. yell at you, they're gonna scream at you. You know, just take it with stride and do what you're told and right. so on and so on. So um, They fly you down there? Yeah. Flew down there and ended up, got there, of course, and late in the evening. And Every time is always. Yeah, I think they do it on way. purpose. I think they do it I on do purpose. I do, too. I really do. Just to mess with you that first <laughs> night and give you a few hours of sleep and you're up the next morning and getting yelled at. As many people as I've interviewed, I've never run across somebody who says, oh, yeah, we got there about nine o'clock, nine thirty. We had breakfast right, and then right. we, we got on with our day. No, nope. nope, it's always evening, middle of the night, toe the yellow line, yep, at in the head. Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly how it, it seems like that for everybody. What uh, what struck you when you first got down there? Uh, the different personalities. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, of the people sure. you're going to be in a. In the Air Force, it was called a flight. Yeah. You know, you were in a flight in your squadron and just, you know, from everywhere, everywhere in the United States. And, you know, I was all crammed used, together. Exactly. And I mean, I was used <laughs> to different people, of course, because I grew up like that. So yeah. Yeah. it was no big deal to me, but it was interesting just some of the attitudes and some of the differences in people and thought processes and everything else. Yeah. It is weird when you start assessing, you're like, geez, what? What are they thinking about me? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what do they see here? This guy's a crazy man. What are, exactly? What's <laughs> uh, how basic go for you? I went fine. I mean, it was. Uh, I mean, I, I still remember, you know, a few things like uh, on our first inspection when we're still we hadn't got a haircut yet or got a uniform, oh, yeah. and they're coming through, going through your bags and throwing away stuff and all that and taking your suitcases away. And you had to report for the first time to your training instructor. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, the saying was, uh, sir, Aaron Mathis reports. Well, my dad was a Sergeant. So oh. of course it came out of my mouth, sir, Sergeant Mathis reports. Oh no. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Who the hell made you a Sergeant? <laughs> so now you broke the Cardinal rule and now yeah. you stand out. Now yeah. Then I had you. to, I had to do a lot of, uh, 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 and all that. So just, 
a learning thing there. So, yeah. It's so silly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's silly now, but at 17 right. or 18, yeah, it's it was, like, ah, hell. <laughs> oh, yeah. Exactly. You got the spotlight now, you know, and right. all that. But, you know, it was basic overall was, you know, it was, it was interesting. You know, you, you you're on discipline and all that, like you're supposed to. And, yeah, you know, you learn about rank structure and you learn about the military. So, yeah, to me, it was a good learning experience and I enjoyed it. So really overall, not do, you a problem. Any, do you have any criers? Um, not that I really recall. I don't oh, really recall good. anybody that really lost it or had to leave to, for any reason, you know? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, everybody did pretty well. Uh, you know, there's a couple that we had to help out with different things physically or something like that, or, you know, doing different, you know, getting your uniforms correct and everything. Yeah, sure. So Sure. But not nothing where we had anybody that was just whining every night and wanted to go home and yeah, yeah. all that. Didn't have a problem with that. No. Did you guys uh honor flight or anything? No, nothing like that. No. Right. No. Just a just a but, good old regular flight. Yeah, just a good old regular flight. And we did win field day when we had field oh. day. <laughs> so we got to do, you know, a bunch actually it was within our first couple weeks, a bunch of us were on different teams and yeah. We won field day and they gave us a base pass and we'd only oh. been there like a week and a half or something. We had no clue where to go, oh, right, you know, or what right. to do. And I mean, we, we just basically got our name tags and everything sewed on with a few days before that. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it was like, okay. So, yeah. I, I, I think they realized that when they were going to award that as a prize, right? They were yeah. Like, yeah. Hey, we'll give them a pass. These guys don't have any money. They can't go anywhere. They don't know. Yeah. We <laughs> yeah, we just basically walked around and looked around, and that's it. <laughs> so, well, yeah, but it was still hard earned. Uh, yeah, where was uh, tech school? Right there at Lackland, also law enforcement oh. and security. Yeah, we all go take a bus right over to the uh, tech school. Yeah. <laughs> so we didn't go far. Didn't go how, far. But how how long is that tech school? Uh, or how long was it, it was, back then? Yeah, back then it was six weeks. Was only the tech school. And then you went out to uh, Camp Bullis, Texas, which is right outside in Medina, Annex, oh, it's wow. called. You go out there for four weeks for a little combat training thing. So you do that for four more weeks. So it's 10 weeks there. You uh, get out of tech school when? Um, about mid-January of 78. 78? Yeah. Yeah. Um, did they tell you what your first assignment was going to be like midway? Yeah, I had, or? I got, we put our dream sheets in Yeah, while we were uh, in tech school and all that. And I, my last, my last stateside choice was Ellsworth Air Force Base, South Dakota. And that's Ellsworth. the one I got. No kidding. So, <laughs> of course. And I'm sitting there really going, you know, Ellsworth, South Dakota, Rapid City, eight, nine hours from Omaha. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> I didn't go too far, but. You were a nuke cop. Well, no, I was I was law enforcement, so I worked the gates and patrol. Okay, okay. So I was the law enforcement side of security police because you had the security specialist and your law enforcement specialist. That's right. So Eric you, did explain that to me, and yeah. the difference is basically your duties, right? Right. And security specialists are the flight line guys and the missile guys. Okay. And then law enforcement guys are the guys out on the gates and doing patrol on the main base. So the, when they when they split you up that way, is it just a whole different set of skills that they're teaching you? Um, somewhat, yeah, because, you know, and even though during my career, my first three bases or so, I had to augment security now and then if they were oh. short of people. Okay. So I still have to go out on the flight line and walk around a plane now and then. But, yeah, I mean. I never did that in tech school to learn how to do that. Right, I just basically right. got thrown into it whenever I was, wherever I was and they needed somebody, but yeah, it's the skills. It was d totally different because law enforcement did a lot more paperwork, oh, yeah. dealt with yeah. people more as far as, you know, like a regular cop. Yeah. So, yeah. So you're doing a lot more basic police stuff <laughs> versus security of flight lines and missile silos. Yeah. They're and so doing forth. more tactical. Yeah. They're, tactical things, yeah. Right. Yeah. They have a little more, they're, they're dealing with the more of the priority resources where we're dealing with the base populace. So you were called, um, what was your title? Were you all security, security? police? It was, we're all security police 
And then you just had your security specialist oh, okay. and your law enforcement specialist. I got you. But got we're you. all security police. You all wear the same badge, the same beret, yeah. all that stuff. Huh. Uh, okay. So what'd you think of, uh, Ellsworth? Yeah. Well, I got there and within a month I put a dream sheet in for worldwide anywhere. Oh, really? And <laughs> I was, I was gone 13 months later. So really, yeah, I got orders pretty quick to Kadena air base, Okinawa, Japan. Oh man. And, uh, went over there in April of 79. So yeah, now you must have, you must have thought you hit the jackpot. Oh, I did. Right there, oh, right? I did. I was excited about going over there because you know, my, my dad had been over in PACAF Pacific air forces before. Sure. And so he gave me a little rundown on life over there and all that. And I was looking forward to it. I really was. And I, I did enjoy it. I mean, I had a great time once I got to Okinawa. I was 19 years old and oh, man. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was a eye opener in some aspects and right. Right. But still a good time, you know, and did you get we a, had a lot of, Oh no, didn't get one there. Okay. No, that's not just there, for the Navy I, guys, I guess. Right. Yeah. I got one later on, of course, at other bases, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was, Kadena was a very busy base as far as for law enforcement, because uh, I mean, you had 13 Marine camps at that time on Okinawa uh, yeah, yeah, geez. and on the weekends, oh. the Marines came to the air force <laughs> base to play. So really it could be, it could be busy. And if the, if the ships came into Harbor or into port, you had a lot of, uh, Navy guys all over the place too. So when yeah, you could be uh, busy. My last duty station was at Schofield barracks in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My last two station in the army and you knew when the fleet was in and when they were out, boy, I mean, right. you, go down, you go downtown and you're like, Oh my God, look at all these men. Yep. <laughs> this going on. Yeah. And that's how it was. You, you knew when they were in or the Marines were out on, you know, pass or whatever, because the one gate that dealt with the main area of downtown gate two, yeah, it, it would be just continuous 20, 30 people walking in and out for all night long. Oh, really? You know, really? so just yeah. going down to the bars and coming back and going to the clubs and all now, that. And I, so, yeah, I, I, I should note um, that back then, up, really up until um, 2001, right? It was all open bases. I mean, you could walk in and walk out. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. right? Yeah. Just had Pretty to much show your ID card, it, right? Yeah. Show your ID card and you're on base. Yeah. So, so God, yeah. it had to be a lot of work. Jeez. Yeah, there was it was interesting, that's for sure. It was a it was a good time. It was an 18 month tour that I got there and I enjoyed it. So So yeah. did that count as a long tour then? No, it was a short tour. They gave oh. us a sh- No, I'm sorry. They did. You're right. They gave me a long for that one. Oh, they the did. Shorts okay. then, the shorts were a year or less. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so you had to get that, a year or less. Did that get you to entitled to pick your base of return? No, no base of preference, no base ah. of preference. So I was, I was hitting my, so when I left there, I had three years in. Yeah. So I put my base of preference, base, my base, number one base on my dream sheet for off it. Cause I wanted to go home. Oh, okay. Sure. And I wanted to get out after four years. Oh, really? And you that I had thought that. coming up on re-up? Yeah, I was, I had a year to go. So I wasn't going to re-up, but I got off it with, I was at three years, one month or two months when I got to off it. Yeah. And my plan was not to re-up. I was going to test for police departments, which I ended up testing for Bellevue police, which is right outside the base there in Omaha and in at off it. And, uh, they weren't hiring at the time. Oh, shit. (laughs) So I ended up like number eight or 10 or something on the list. They didn't hire anybody. And, and Omaha wasn't hiring at the time. Really? So I didn't even apply there. So I just uh, re-enlisted. So, well, and this yeah. was, so we're talking 80, 81. Yeah. That was 1980. Yeah. When the job yeah. market was still pretty lousy. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, unfortunately though, the next year they hired, they annexed oh. a bunch of, bunch of property or a bunch of land around Bellevue and they hired like 10 cops. Of course. <laughs> so, of course. And of course, a couple, couple guys I knew got on that yeah. were getting out, but I had already reenlisted. So it's all that crazy timing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just all it is. It's timing. So yeah, I reenlisted and left again. And from Omaha, I was at Offit till uh, I was there, what, October 80 till December 82. And I went to RAF Greenham Common and 
uh, the UK. Wow. So I went over to a cruise missile base. So first cruise missile base that went active in the air force. So I went over there. Missile base. That's yeah. The ground launch cruise missile. Glickum. Oh, the Glickums. That's right. I remember hearing that term. Yep. If you can't lick them, glick them. Where'd you make E5 at? So I made that at in England. Oh, okay. Yep. Yep. When I was stationed there, I got there in 82 and put it on in 83. And yeah, so I got there. I was there for three years and that was another great, that was another enjoyable assignment. I mean, it was a very political and newsworthy assignment because we had a large contingent of uh, peace demonstrators, peace women. They were called the campaign for nuclear disarmament, CND. And they basically lived around the entire perimeter of the base. Oh, And there was times we were five, 10,000 women encircling the base on peace protests. And wow. you didn't go off. You didn't go home. If you lived off base, you didn't go home for three or four days until protests were done for a while. And a bunch of them left and just the normal ones that stayed there, stayed there. Now, so, were they, uh, that were they peaceful or they just so uh, many people you couldn't move through them or they were, they were an interesting bunch. I'll say that they were <laughs> some of the, I guess I can say some of the nastiest people I've met. <laughs> no kidding. They, uh, they, you know, they weren't, they were living in homemade tents and so yeah. forth. No showers, no bathrooms oh. doing what they had to do. And they, uh, they would cut, you know, whatever fence line they could to get on base. If you caught a bunch of them and which we caught a lot of them all the time, we'd have a bus load of them and they would, wow. they would do things on the bus and throw it at you. You so, kidding me? Oh no, no. All there women, was, all women. Yes. Right? All women, all women. Wow, that's some dedication, yeah, you, boy. You can, people can Google <laughs> all the, the campaign for nuclear disarmament at Greenham Common and see all kinds of things about them women. But they, uh, wow. They, they did things like they would try to get the one time they tried to take the U S flag down at headquarters. Yeah. And they got, uh, they got knocked around a little bit about that. <laughs> and, and then they, uh, one time they, a bunch of them stripped down naked and, coated themselves in motor oil and ran through the gate. And so you try to grab somebody that's got motor oil all over them. It's not too easy. (laughs) Oh my God. Too bad we didn't have YouTube back then. That would have made for some. Oh my goodness. Very entertaining stuff. Yeah. So they were just, they were a, it was a handful. And you know, the, the biggest thing that happened, I think while I was there was when we were having the actual nuclear weapons brought in by C5s, they were landing and, we had the gates all secure, you know, and up barriers up at different places. Sure. And one of the back gates was being manned by the uh, Ministry of Defense police that worked with us. And some local ran through the gate with a vehicle, oh. came through the flight line area, and he was heading towards the C-5 that was downloading nuclear weapons. Whoa. And all of the guards go down on a knee with an M-16, and, and then a, <laughs> here comes a blazer. One of our security guys, well, two security guys in it in a blazer come bouncing across and there's total video of it because they were videoing the downloading of the weapons. And this blazer comes across the flight line and just rams this guy and tips him on his side and wow, takes him out right there. So, <laughs> I mean, if, if they hadn't done that, he would have got lit up anyway by God knows how many. M16s. Probably saved his life. Yeah. More than likely. More yeah. than likely. Yeah. Whoa, so, man. yeah. So that was the, that was a pretty big deal. I mean, to yeah, see something like, like that at 21 or you just like, oh yeah. My God. I was, yeah, I was 22, 23. Oh, look at yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah where, was was pretty, this, where was this base by? What part of England was it in? It was in Newbury, England, Newbury. which about an hour outside of London by train. Oh, geez. Yeah. Oh, by train and car. Yeah. 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 It wasn't far, but it was, uh, uh, I think it was the county was Berkshire yeah. was where it was, if I remember right. But Newberry was the town that was the closest. Is that so, like Americans at that time? Um, some, some yeah. did, some didn't. Okay. Yeah. Cause some of them didn't want us there as far as bringing nuclear weapons in and all well, that, even though their government understandable. agreed to it. Yeah. 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 Understandable. And the, the security guys that were assigned, like I said, you know, I was still law enforcement, of course, but my, our security guys were the ones who were actually in the nuclear area guarding the nukes. And they actually integrated RAF regiment, were assigned to the base, and they were 
given top secret clearances or whatever they needed to work with the nuclear weapons also as a joint venture in guarding them. Wow. So, and then if they deployed, which they did do exercises where they would deploy, not actually with the weapons, of course, but they would deploy with the launchers and the security guys and everybody else out to fields like they were going to war yeah. and play games, of course. And yeah, so the RAF regiment was integrated with the security and they worked together and were on the same shifts together and all that. Wow. So wow. they had their own, their own barracks on base and next to ours. And yeah, it was interesting too working with them. Had a pretty good NCO club, I would imagine. Huh? Oh yeah. And they, they had their own little pub that went on too. So <laughs> you could go there too. So I don't know how that beat works. That. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> deploying a, uh, the cutter with all that multinational, those guys always have like their own self-contained something. Oh yeah. yeah. Yes, that's for sure. And they, they started their own RAF police pub basically. <laughs> and yeah, so we, uh, we could go in there also and they'd go oh, to our NCO cool. club, of course. Yeah. That's good. They so, didn't exclude you. Oh no, no. They, cause basically, like I said, the security guys and them were on the same shifts. They worked the same time together. They were yeah, sure, in the sure. same vehicles, you know, driving around together. And so, yeah, a lot of them became really probably lifelong friends, you know? Yeah, sure. So sure. yeah. Yeah. You stayed so, there. Yeah, so that was two years, three years, three, three years. years till. Yep, till nineteen eighty-five, December eighty-five, I left there. When did when you and, re-upped? Did you just re-up for another four, or did you go like? Yeah, six? I did another four. Okay. So my eight years would have been in eighty-five. Yeah. And I was married, and you know, oh. so I re-enlisted again. Of course, we had a new son, and <laughs> I was uh, heading back to the states. So I re-enlisted wow, again. A, and, that was a pretty involved re-enlistment there. That second one, right? Or yeah, the, yeah. The first reenlistment. Right? The first one. Yeah, I was yeah. married. I, I got married actually in at Offit when I was in Omaha. So I got married there, and she went with me to England. And then we wow, had our that son was, in England. Were you? Did you guys know each other before? Uh no, no. I met her while I was stationed in Omaha. And you were only there for so, a couple of years, right? Yeah, yeah, two wow. years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I left. I left England in December '85, and. uh Headed to uh, Denver, Colorado, then to Lowry. Oh, you did when Lowry was still open. Yeah, yeah. went there for three years. Yeah, hey, it's still weird that they closed that down because it was it's it was so integral to many AFSCs. Yeah, it was. I was you surprised know? too. I mean, I, I I enjoyed that too. I was there three and a half years, and yeah, I really liked the Denver area and enjoyed the base. I mean, you're sitting there right between Denver and Aurora. And, you know, we were, we, we stayed pretty active there too, because it was a total law enforcement mission, oh, you know, yeah, dealing, sure. there was no security because there was no flight line. Right. So right. You, you dealt with, you were basically just there doing law enforcement work and you, you stayed pretty busy there too, because you had a lot of people would do things on base and then sometimes civilians would get on and do something. So yeah. dealt with Denver of, police and Aurora. Oh, you did? A lot. Did you, you dealt with them a lot. Did you ever yeah. like do any joint training with those guys? Oh yeah, we went to all kind of classes with them, different uh, radar classes, field sobriety wow. test classes, things like that. And a lot of our reservists were Denver and Aurora cops. Oh yeah, that would come out and work with us, you know, once a month or do their two weeks in the summer and all that stuff. So got to what know was, a lot of. Uh, what was the job like? Was it getting humdrum at that point? Was there? Did you have a favorite part of doing the job? No, I was still, I mean, I, I was still doing patrol my first year, year and a half there. And as a flight chief, it's called where I was in charge of a shift. Oh. And, and then I moved into a office job for about my last, eh, about a year and a half. So about okay. split the time, about a year and a half, I did an office job in the uh, reports and analysis. It's called where we basically processed all the paperwork from reports, tickets and all that, and did crime trend analysis and things of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, then I start working in what was called uh, personnel security, doing the, um, paperwork and such for security clearances for like tech school students and everybody needing top secret clearances and all that. So I start working oh. in that. Okay. So, yeah, so I got into that for a while, my last year and a half there and, uh, started doing that and got a, uh, what's it's called a special experience identifier in that. 
oh, that's for doing good. that job. So yeah, that's yeah. Good. yeah. So we uh, processed play. We were we were busy because it was you know being an air training command base. You had all the tech school students, and they had sure. to get clearances and all everything on doing their paperwork. And then we also handled like all the OSI reports. We were the repository to handle all the oh, OSI reports. Yeah. So the OSI was always up there bringing in reports or coming to get reports or whatever. Did you so ever have to, uh, get approached to go over to OSI? Um, I had thought about it, but I was kind of set in what I was doing. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I never, never really went for it because I was, I was enjoying what I did. And yeah, it was always, a, there was always a stigma about OSI anyway. Well, you know, about uh, them. yeah, depending on who you talk to, I suppose, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, I knew a lot of the agents there and at other bases I'd been at, and they were all great guys. I never had a problem with any of them. Right, right. So, yeah. Just the nature yeah. of the work. Yeah, the oh, nature yeah. of the work. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, Lowry was a good base, though. It was a good law enforcement base to do your job and, be, you know, learn more about law enforcement. So, what year did you leave Lowry? So, I left Lowry in... June of 89. And that's when I went to Clark Air Base in the Philippines. You got to be at least a tech by now, right? Yeah, I was a tech. Yep. I was an E6 then. So headed over there in in 89 and worked a flight there for about eight months doing patrol. You know, I was actually the assistant flight chief there. The flights and the law enforcement and security flights in the Philippines are huge because the security police group there was yeah. over a thousand cops. Oh, you had a thousand cops on base and our flights, our shifts, you had four law enforcement shifts and four security shifts or flights. And God, each of them were 95, 95, hundred guys right that's there. A, that's so, like army numbers there. You got a battalion. Yeah. Oh. It was crazy. It was unbelievable when you'd have guard mount briefing, you yeah. know, and you're, you're calling out the duty roster of, you know, 85, 90 people there at a time, (laughs) you know? And so, yeah, it was, it was, it was an interesting job. And I actually, I had lived in the Philippines as a kid when I was only three years old. So I didn't really have any memory of it, but a lot of pictures from my parents, you know? And so when I got over there, I was able to go around and bought a video camera and videotape everything on base and sent it to my mom and dad. And they recognized so much stuff that was still the same from the sixties. That's pretty cool. So, you know, the Philippines was another great law enforcement base. If you want to learn to be a, learn the job, you're dealing with all kinds of people, you know, and (laughs) it was a busy place. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, just like any overseas base, you're always going to be a little busier because you get people from TDY from Korea and TDY from Guam and TDY from the States and everything else. And that's right. So yeah, it was, uh, it was a busy base. And then, you know, of course, with all the, once the natural disaster started and coup attempts before that, like you talked about, and yeah, it was, yeah. uh, so take it was me a to, different, different life. So walk me through that. So what, uh, when the coup went down, I know it didn't last very long, No, but long enough to put everybody on high alert, I would imagine. Right. Well, as I, re- you know, and as I recall it all, I mean, I was on what was called a fire team. Four of us in a home V basically assigned to a sector watching a the part of the wall. Yeah. Making sure nothing happened, you know, but it, it, it was just basically increased security on the base because you didn't know what was going on downtown or what was going on in Manila. And even our Philippine Air Force guards that worked the gates, they would, one would, you, you might have five of those out there working with a couple Air Force guys. Yeah. And those five guards, three of them might be pro government, two might be pro for whoever's trying to take over. Oh, sure. so they would I, I got so you. they would yeah. stand on opposite yeah. side of the gate oh. from each other. <laughs> They'd still work the same shift, but they would yeah. stand apart from each other during the coup attempt. It's just one more thing you got to be aware of as the yeah, Americans exactly. look out for this, right? Exactly. Oh, so and God. you know, and they yeah, it's it, it was just interesting the whole thing there. And did they lock know, down and, the base? Um, partially. Yeah. For a while there, I believe they did. And we, we had times we did get locked down for other issues. I, I was working one night as the night shift supervisor and the, uh, I was at the main gate Yeah, and it was like one in the morning or something. And all of a sudden a car blew up 
couple blocks downtown and mm-hmm. it was to find out it was some local police chief's car that the new people's army, the terrorist group over there in the Philippines was trying to assassinate. Oh, so God. immediately, of course, we locked down the base and we go into threat condition, Charlie, which were normally in any way, it seemed like, like a, I don't remember how they c- titled it back then. It yeah, was like right, a right. semi Charlie, but anyway, but yeah, so things like that would happen or, you know, we had a assassination of a, well, two guys from Korea, they were downtown and TDY and came up behind the NPA came up behind them with their 45s, which they always used and shot two guys and killed them two really? air force guys. Oh, geez. and that, that locked the base down for a while. And then in, uh, up by, um, Oh, I believe it was not Dau. I can't remember the name. I think it was Donald Camp Donald. Can't remember the name of the camp, but it had a lot of government contractors that worked there. Okay. Yeah, and it, it was also an Air Force site, and we had some people assigned there. And supposedly the New People's Army was going to try to take out the commander of it. And one Jeez. day they had a they had a a truck, you know, with the canvas sides on it and all that in front uh-huh. of they thought the commander's car. And they did a little evasive action and turned sideways, lifted up the canvas and opened up with M16s or whatever on this car. And it Whoa. didn't turn out to be the commander. It just happened to be some contractor that worked there that had the same oh, type of car. My God. So they ended up killing him. And so that brought in, that closed the base down again for a couple of weeks. And nobody went off base at all unless you lived off base. And then it yeah. was just from your home to work. and. Yeah, yeah. All that. And so they brought the, when they brought that car back though, I mean, I don't remember how many bullet holes, but at least a hundred, 150 bullet holes were in it. That's like and, European assassination stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they kept it out there where people could see it to remind wow. you of what could happen. That's smart. Yeah. To that's watch smart. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, yeah. there was a lot of different things, you know, and you know, things like that, plus the natural disaster type things. So you know, when we had the, <laughs> When, what what came first, the earthquake or the volcano? Earthquake. Earthquake okay. was first. I, I remember the earthquake good, too, because I was actually driving down the street in my pickup truck going to a college class I was taking. Okay. And my truck started bouncing. Oh, and I wow. thought I thought really? something was wrong with my shocks or something. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know what the heck was going on. So I pull over and I get out <clears throat> and I'm looking at my truck and it's still bouncing. And then I look around and the trees are bouncing a little. So into a ditch I went and waited till that stopped and figured out what was going on. And yeah. So then I was actually was an earthquake and a pretty good one. I mean, it, I yeah. got home and my, I had my dog had, I had a German shepherd at the time and I put her into the, she usually went into the laundry room area where we had her bed and her food and water and all that. Uh-huh. And I went in there and things that fell off shelves that were in there and she was scared big time. I mean, she was terrified. <laughs> sure. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, you know, a lot of, a lot of, dis- not, not destruction, I'll say, but there was a lot of, you know, like the commissary had part of the front entrance fall in and things like that. So yeah, that was, it was a pretty good one. Pretty good one. How big was that thing? The earthquake. Let me see. I would think in the low sevens, maybe even a little more. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that was dumb of me. I, I, I can't I go- remember exactly. I Googled yeah. Philippine earthquake, but they've had so many, so I'm not going to look it up. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, during, and during the volcano, we had numerous. So, so know, what were you doing when that thing, I mean, obviously you were getting warnings, right? They were right. We, we, you know, months in advance with like three months in advance, they had what they called volcanologists there yeah. that were, uh, uh, you know, assessing, all the little blows and little eruptions and trying to figure out when it was going to really blow. Right. Right. And, you know, they, they came up with, you know, sometime in June, it would going to be blowing big time. And that's when early June is when they started getting rid of all the dependents and non-essential military and getting them uh, taken out by, you know, some planes, but mostly a lot of them went out by boat. A lot of them went down to Subic and, Went out on Navy boats and how about your how about your wife and kid? She was military. My my son was still in the states with my ex wife. I'll say that. Oh, okay, okay, fair <laughs> so enough. So my enough. my current wife though was Air Force, so she was there already. So she was oh, a cop right. too. So yeah, oh. so yeah, we were. 
we were there, but the frater, they uh, yeah they got rid of all the uh, went a little far, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's all right. We've all been there too. So. Oh yeah, we've all been there. So <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, it was uh, a lot of dependents or all the dependents left, and there was I I don't remember the exact amount that, of us that were left at the time, but yeah, it wasn't very many. No more than a couple thousand, I wouldn't think, okay. were left okay. on the base of military. So yeah. Were you then, uh, working with uh, Eric Perot at this time? Well, he worked at the time in the 6009th training squadron, which was a uh, teaching combat skills and so forth, where they brought in teams from other bases over in PACAF oh, okay. to learn combat skills and stuff. And yeah. our, our guys, too, would go there. And that's where he was working. And then I was at the time, I was actually working in the information security where we uh, did classified inspections on squadrons and stuff to you know yeah. check their classified and all that stuff so i was working that job and then once the volcano hit though we were all basically doing just regular security police type duties right. of course right, walking right. around with, you know well even before it we were getting ready to go everybody we basically had a to-go bag for about about two weeks you had a to-go bag yeah yeah an a3 flight bag that was you could have one a3 flight bag full uh -huh. of what you needed Really? And that was what you were, you carried around basically with you all over the place. That was your bug you out, know? huh? Yeah, it was your bug out bag. So if you were, if you were going over to the gym for a while, you better take your bag with you, you know, and just in case it went right then. So, so where were you when the big eruption happened? <sighs> I was in the barracks. Okay. And if I remember right, we had sirens go off and things of that nature. Yeah. And that's when we knew. And they made announcements that it was the big, you know, blow basically. And it was, if I remember June 15th, if I recall correctly of 91. Uh -huh. Okay. And that's when the big blow went and we just, I was, uh, assigned a deuce and a half then to drive, taking up supplies and stuff up to this college around another inactive volcano, Mount Orion. All right. We had to go up there it was our evacuation point for the base. And that was a couple hour drive minimum. Oh shit. So while we were, yeah, while we were going though, I mean, it was raining ash and by noon it was pitch blackout oh, and there was a earthquakes going on, of course, from the volcano erupting. And we yeah. had a typhoon going through at the same time. Oh my God. So it was raining, windy, ash everywhere. And you, you, as you talked about before, you did catch people, you know, not like you asked about basic training, somebody whining about going home. Yeah. You had it, you had it there. This was uh you found people huddled in corners wondering if that island was gonna sink. Well, that's so, uh that's wrath of God. I mean, you got all that stuff yeah, happening at the exactly. same time. Black exactly. in the middle of the day, uh ash yep. and rain and wind. Oh my god, oh my yep. god. So Jeez. it was it was you know, and so when we start convoying up, of course, all a lot of locals start following us that way because they're saying if the Americans are going that way, it must be safe. Yeah, that's fair. So they start following us up to the college, and the college is there. It wasn't exactly like a college here. Yeah. So it was more of an outdoor living oh, area. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, we brought up our own porta pots and water buffaloes and MREs, and that's where we'd be staying until we were able to go back to the base. How long did you so, stay there for? Well, I actually only had to stay for a day and a half because I got, I was on the first 44 man team that went back to secure the base. Okay. Okay. So I was able to go back with the first group of people and we went out to uh, the uh, Dau radio site and we stayed there, which was just a building basically and had a bathroom, but it was, nothing was working on base, no power, no water, no yeah. nothing. Yeah. So we basically were going around trying to secure things and see what was really, you know, what happened, you know, what, what we needed to look at, um, structurally and everything right. like that. And we had to put guards on stuff cause we would have looters oh, and so sure. forth coming over. So we had to really start looking at that. And, you know, once we got things where we could figure out what was going on and the base commander decided to start bringing people back. And I think it took about five or six days to get everybody back Yeah, to where, you know, finally we got some power going and able to, uh, put water buffaloes outside barracks and, you know, have fresh water and stuff and all that. So yeah, it took a little bit. Now, Eric was describing one of his duties. He had to go around and shoot the dogs. Yep. Cause a lot of people there. left their dogs. They didn't, 
when they evacuated, they didn't take yeah. them with them. So you yeah. had packs of dogs running the base. Yeah. And that's, Dude. yeah, that was a duty. My duty, I was assigned basically cleanup type stuff where I had a team of guys and we were going around to different buildings that were in the security police buildings that we had. Uh-huh. And we were on roofs, we were on roofs, shoveling off ash. We were cutting trees that had fallen on buildings. Oh, okay. Okay. Basically just securing things, getting everything back to where we could live in them or work in them or whatever we had to do. And cause nobody knew what our, nobody knew what the plan was, you know, if we were yeah, right. leaving that base or we're staying or what's going on. Right. So that, that whole concept of shoveling ash, like snow. Just, I, can't <laughs> exactly. I can't imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Except we were all in, we were all in combat boots and shorts. So, <laughs> yeah, so I still remember that too. I mean, the base commander finally, after about a month, of basically no uniforms, no haircuts, no shaven. Yeah. Said it's time to get back to military. <laughs> so, yeah. Which, which you guys were glad to do if you had some oh, yeah. facilities, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. But it was, it was, it was still fun to not have to wear a uniform for a while and <laughs> all that good stuff. But it's, you know, we, we got the base back to, they brought in some people, TDY, of course, from, you know, Guam and a few other places like calm people and stuff to help get stuff set back up. And wow, they brought in some PJs to help do things. And cause I ran into a guy, actually one of the PJs pararescue guys. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, him and I had went to leadership school together in England back in the early eighties. No kidding. And he came in, I, I can't remember where he was stationed at in PACAF, but he came in with a crew to help get things going on the base again, as far as water filtration and doing things okay. like that. Yeah. And so he actually, his job was to get the pool cleaned up. Oh. So all the, so all the PJs were there helping figure out ways of getting the ash out of the pool, things <laughs> like that, you know? And so they, and they actually figured out that when we didn't have water running real good, the ash was sinking to the bottom of the pool, which left the water up top pretty clean. So you could oh. actually get in and wash off a little bit Oh, okay. in the pool. Okay. So yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, so he, but they, you know, we got everything back to, you know, we actually had one of the swimming pools reopen within a couple months where we had a clean wow. pool that would have to be, you know, they'd have to try to cover it sometimes, or they'd have to just, you know, take out the ash and stuff during the day. But yeah, yeah they were able, because we still had blows going on now and then where things would, we'd get ash blows and all that out of the volcano now and then. Oh, God. But, but yeah, so it was a, it was a great assignment. Like, like I said, Eric and I were roommates for a while and then we. They moved us to another barracks where we were basically had single rooms, but we shared our bathroom. Oh, all right. So we were to, we were together over there too. And yeah, so he, uh, he was there with me through all that. And wow. you know, we had a good time at times and figuring out what, figuring out what was going to happen though, was just everybody's on everybody's mind. So that was what we were waiting for to hear. And every, they would never really give us answers for quite a while so, there until they yeah, figured it they out. Didn't, they didn't know. They didn't know either. Right. No. No, they didn't know at what point if we we were going to be able to reopen that base or not. Well, and they, so it wasn't the uh, wasn't the lease up for negotiation at that yes, time. Yes, that's the big thing. What was going on was they were negotiating if we were going to stay or not. If the Americans yeah. were going to be staying in the Philippines, that's what the whole thing was about. So, did you stay yeah, once, all the way until they made that decision to close it down, or were you gone before then? No, I actually left on the final day it was open. Really? So I was one of the last ones. I actually, I have paper. I still have a few copies of it. I was actually one of the honor guard that took the flag down on the final day. Oh, man. So there was great. four of us. We got yeah. picked by the wing commander. They had, they actually sent a bunch of our names into the wing commander, and we had to go interview with the wing commander. And oh, he did. Jeez. He, picked, he picked me as the NCOIC with three guys under me, and... We were the honor guard to take the flag down and present it to the ambassador when we left the base that day. You get so, into stars and stripes? Oh, it got all over the world. We landed really? we landed in Guam, Hawaii, and LA, and we were on every front page of newspaper. Oh no kidding. So it was kind of yeah. And then when I got home to Omaha, my dad had the copies from there where it was on the front page. Awesome. That's really cool. So yeah, that's yeah really so it was cool. it was pretty neat. Yeah, it was pretty neat. And it was it was it was sad too you know, yeah. to leave sure. there because, you know, a lot of the, the Filipinos are very hardworking people, very yeah. generous people, very nice people. And, you know, they were losing a lot 
by this base leaving. Absolutely. And yeah, absolutely. It was sad for a lot of them. It really was. Because yeah, a lot of them had worked there sure. for generations. Some of them had worked there. Yeah, the politics so, of that whole situation. Is just, and still, to this day, it's still. It's terrible. still. Yeah, and there's there's supposedly negotiations going on now to maybe try to open something up with the problems going on over there. Yeah. Exactly. In, with Taiwan and China. So right. who knows? Right. Who knows? But yeah, yeah, but yeah. So we we left there in no, November ninety one. So that and what was funny about that too was when uh I had already had an assignment given me before the volcano because I was down to like less than a year to go, yeah. and I had an assignment to bowling in D.C. Oh. Oh. And so what they did though after the volcano and everything got situated, they brought in a assignment team from Randolph, oh. and. You walked into the room, you sat down with a guy from your specialty and he looked at you and said, where do you want to go? And I said, well, I already got an assignment to bowling. He goes, it don't matter where you want to go. Oh, you finally getting base of preference. Yeah. So I'm like, (laughs) well, wouldn't mind going back to Lowry. Well, Lowry's closing and there's no (laughs) E67 openings. Yeah, sure. I'm like, all right, how about, how about the Academy or Pete Field? No, no openings there and blah, blah, blah for law enforcement. And so I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, when my son was in Omaha and my yeah. family, you know, so I'm like, off it. <laughs> and oh. the guy didn't even look, the guy didn't even look it up. He just wrote out the orders because nobody asked to go to office. <laughs> yep. Again. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm like, wow. <laughs> so he, yeah. So I got orders to off it again and ended up back there in early 92. So I'm surprised the guy stay. didn't yell over his shoulder. Hey, I got one. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty I don't much. even have to, I don't even have to non-vol him. Don't He's even have to. Going. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was, I was like, oh my goodness. So, yeah, but it was. Yeah. But I spent with family. Right. And, and oh, yeah, I was happy to my, you know, my son was there. Like I said, my parents and stuff yeah, and yeah. all that. So I was, yeah. it worked out, you know, I went back to Omaha and ended up staying there. My rest of my career stayed there until I retired. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I, well, that's I got two an assignment. You just kind of PCA yeah. over, and that was my seventh assignment. Yeah. So back to off it, and you know, I was I got an assignment actually about two years after I got there to to Yakota, but oh. then they got canceled. So oh, yeah, never yeah. end up going anywhere else. But yeah, well, I just I, stayed there. You made master there, I assume. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That's um, correct. Ever had any thoughts on going for senior? I actually, well, you know, I, at off it, my decision was I was getting out at 20. I knew that. Okay. And I, I didn't really want to, I'd already worked office jobs. I was tired of doing that stuff. I like working flight, working the street. So I was the day shift flight chief, which I enjoyed. And I tested for senior, you know, three times and always would miss it by 10, 15 points. So if I would have took a, took a back office job, it might've helped, but yeah, maybe. I wasn't looking to do that. You know, I finished my education. I got my bachelor's degree done while I was there and I was happy with that. And, you know, did senior in NCO Academy by correspondence like you're supposed to and got all yep. the block yep. and wing commander's endorsement and all that stuff. And but yeah, I just uh, didn't didn't put in to go to a job that would got me it. Maybe it's a good thing so, because uh you know oh, yeah. if you'd have made senior, you'd have been taken out of the job you wanted to do anyway. Exactly. And I mean I I probably would have stayed in longer than 20, yeah, but maybe. you know, I, yeah. I stayed in my 20 and I was, you know, proud to do what I did. And I, I was 38 years old retiring and that's perfect. You know? Yeah. And I could go do another, do another something for another 20 years somewhere. So, uh, and re- that's what I did. Okay. Here's my, here's my two, my standard two questions. Okay. And the first is what was your biggest ass chewing? You think about it. Don't worry. I, I edit this up anyway. So, well, I'll have don't tell to me say, you never got one, but oh, <laughs> well, I'm not going to say I never got in trouble. That's for sure. <laughs> we all got in trouble. We all fell on our swords now and then. That is true. Um. Well, never. I, I mean, I, I mean, we all. You know, I'm. Not, I, I've always admitted, even on my job application stuff. You know, I was. I had two Article 15s. I still go. made master. I still made master sergeant. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I had one as a senior airman and I was, I did something pretty stupid. I was at (laughs) Kadena. 
I was at Kadena okay. in Okinawa, and it was actually yeah, about four or five days before we were a bunch of us were PCS and out. We were leaving, and we had been partying and stuff. And yeah, right, right. We had a a guard. We had a guard post in finance, and I called the guard post, and this girl was working, and I knew her. And I was just kind of messing with her. And I'll, I said, I pretended I was the desk sergeant and said, go ahead and turn your alarm off. And she's like, okay, well, she didn't ask about authenticating like you're supposed to. And I'm like yeah. yelling, no, don't, don't. And I hear her turn the button, turn the key. Oh, she did. So I, I friggin' hang up the phone in the barracks, you know? <laughs> and of course it went on and on. And when they found out it wasn't the desk sergeant, they were, they came to the different barracks of the cops asking if anybody was around the phones doing anything and my yeah. name came up and oh, blah, blah, no. blah. And I admitted it. I'm like, yeah. that's what I did. You know, I was, I had been drinking, I was stupid, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And so I, so this was on the day they actually got me, came to me the day we were leaving. Oh, you almost and I'd, made it. <laughs> I'd already put my bags in to go <laughs> because I wore customs at the time. So I was able to put my bags in early. Yeah. But they got me an they got me an Article 15 within six hours. Oh my god! <laughs> so my punishment was a hundred dollar fine, and that okay. was it. Hundred dollars out of my t- next paycheck. That yeah. was it. I got on my plane. I left. That was it. God, you, <laughs> so didn't, you didn't lose I a stripe or anything. No, so that's I was great. very lucky. I was oh, very man. lucky. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I went in. I told the commander and first sergeant, I did it. I did it. I yeah. I admit it, you know, I'm very sorry. It was stupid. It was, you know, it was being a stupid kid getting ready to leave and drinking too much. So, yeah, yeah. But that was probably the worst thing. Yeah. Well, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I got my ass chewed quite a bit <laughs> by the commander, first sergeant, everybody. Yeah. Well, I remember, I mean, when I was stationed in England, I went to leadership school. I was an E5 then. And we were doing uh, classes on, you know, counseling and sure. so forth in leadership school. And I was the only cop in the class. So the instructor for leadership school said, hey, I want you to be the counselee. I want you to lay into them. Oh, and I'm like, okay. okay. You know? Yeah, right. So, you know, so somebody comes in, you know, as your supervisor and they sit down and say, so uh, what's going on in your life that we're having these problems? And I'd look right. at them and say, none of your effing business. You know, Make get out of tough. my face. Yeah, that's And they'd, they'd be like. They didn't know what to do. Most of them were like, uh, wait, you know, that's, you're and, supposed to say, I'm supposed yeah, to fix yeah. your problem. <laughs> exactly. And the instructors behind them just telling me and, you know, waving his fingers, like egging me on, keep going, yeah. keep going, yeah, keep yeah. going. <laughs> so that's good. That's yeah. probably the best training I'll ever get because oh, those yeah. are the situations when the guy won't talk to you. You're, yeah. You're going to run into people that are, yeah, you're going to have people that are not going to be yeah. wanting to get, you know, counseled or reprimanded or whatever right right. you know not going to fall on their sword as i say and Uh, all that good stuff so kidding yeah yeah okay the second question i have sure what's your proudest moment of the military i had quite a few i mean but you know like i said about the philippines taking the flag down there and all that was one of my prouder moments you know being able you know like when i went into the wing commander and interviewed with him and he he said, why do you want to be on this detail? And I brought up, hey, in 1962 and 63, I lived here as a dependent when I was three years old. And my dad was stationed here. And now I'm here as an adult, as a tech sergeant. And I think it would be very awesome to be one of the ones to take the flag down on the final day of this base. You know, and he, he, he I think that's one of the things that got him, you know, sure. yeah. to go for me. So, so that, that was one of my proud moments. And honestly, as a, as a military cop during my time in the air force, I can, I can say I probably gave, I probably gave CPR to people seven to eight, seven to 10 times. Really? And yeah, at at every base, I gave it a few, you know, one or twice, once or twice, you know? Yeah. And I, I got to say, you know, 70% was able to save. So that, was a proud thing. That was a thing that I was very happy for is just to be able to save somebody, you know, you know, and, and that, that touches, uh, when we talk about the military, you always talk about somebody getting shot at, you know, mm-hmm. you shooting at somebody because that's mm-hmm. real, that's a real life or death situation, but you're there 
administering CPR in a life or death situation. I mean, that's right. We forget that those situations come up as well. Correct. And that's, oh, that was, really? I mean, it, I think that was pretty proud moments too, when they start breathing again or whatever, you know, and, yeah. you yeah. know, we're able to get them back. And it was like, that was something I could, you know, I'd go home, you know, I'd be done with that and I'd be shaken yeah, from the sure. adrenaline, Sure, but I'd be also happy, yeah. you know, that I was able to do that. So I was, I'd have to say that was one of them, one of them big ones too, is that. So anyway, but yeah, so yeah, helping people with CPR and that Philippines taking the flag down was probably two of my greatest things that I really was proud of. Yeah. Did we get it all? I think so. I think we did pretty well there. Yeah. Yeah. Can't think of really anything else, you know, as far as, you know, just that, you know, my whole, my 20 years in the Air Force was something I would definitely do again. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do it again. Awesome. No complaints. No complaints. Air Force Master Sergeant retired John Mathis. Thanks for uh, giving you your story. is It's been an honor to to hear it, and uh, it's been a pleasure to have you walk me through your career. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, and I enjoyed it. On behalf of Master Sergeant Mathis, I'd like to thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did. Please leave a like and a comment and share the podcast with someone else. And as always, make sure to download the next episode for more service origin stories. So until next time, on your feet, dismissed!